0: We're watching TV last night, Michigan State game, was that like not incredible? I mean, that's one of those things that when I saw it, I was like, oh my goodness, that won't happen again for 25 years. So they threw the Hail Mary pass, and, which never, ever, ever, ever works, right? And it got deflected, the guy caught it, and then they didn't know who went across the line, so Michigan State won. Amazing game. So then I flip over to the World Series. And then, how many people saw Albert Pujols hit his third home run? And like, right, when he, right when he cracked the bat, I was like, no way. Unbelievable. How many people remember Reggie Jackson hitting three home runs? Now I'm going to show Yeah, now all the older people are raising their hands. So, it may not happen again in your lifetime. Two amazing things happen in sports, which is a cool thing about fall. But anyway, I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to dig into our teaching time, okay? Let's bow. God, thanks so much for each person here, and we thank you for fall. There's a lot of beautiful things about the changing of the seasons, and uh, we enjoy those, and we thank you for your creation and and making them possible. Uh, We just look forward to this morning as we open up your word. May we all learn from it. Father, there are things that you want to teach every single one of us, and we want to be open to that, and uh, may you use me just as a mouthpiece today during that time. In Christ's name, amen. True story. About six years ago, we're riding in our van, our whole family. My son Keaton, so at that time he was probably 11, says to my wife, Hey mom, remember you owe me money. And I can't remember exactly what the money was. I think he maybe had done some chores or something, but was reminding her that she owed him some money. So no big deal. Conversations happen like that all the time. My daughter Senna, who's 11 now, was five at the time. She says, hey, bubby, I've got some money. I'll let you borrow some. So it was kind of quiet for a second. Then all of a sudden, we hear Keaton say, oh my gosh, Mom, she's got a bunch of cash. (laughs) We look in the backseat, and my five-year-old daughter, uh, I mean, she's like a bookie. She's flipping out 20s, just like one after the other, which we're totally in shock. Like, she had $380 in cash in an envelope, and She's just flipping out 20s, and she's going to give some to her younger brother, or older brother. So we're like, where did you get that money? She said, I found it in the freezer. There was an envelope in the freezer, and I I just, I got it out. Which, we had taken some cash that we had saved from time to time, and put it in an envelope we were going to use on vacation. And uh, she was, I don't know, looking for frozen peas or something, and found it. And so she just put it in her pocket, and... um, Her brother needed some money, so she was going to let her brother borrow some money. Okay, now hold on to that story, okay? We'll come back to it in just a second. We'll come back to the story. We have a value here at Exodus that we call blessed to be a blessing. And, And basically what that means is that as God has blessed every one of us individually and corporately, we have a responsibility then to pass that blessing on to other people. Not just to hold on to it, but to... Pour it out on others, not just to enjoy it ourselves, but to share it with others. We get that uh, value from some a conversation that God had with Abraham back in Genesis chapter twelve. And I'll read to you real quick what it says. God was talking to Abraham, and He said, "Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you." God said to Abraham. But then listen, He says, "And I will make your name great." and you will be a blessing. There's the responsibility. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So that's where we get this idea of blessed to be a blessing. As God blesses us, we are to bless other people. Pastor Rick Warren in Orange County, California, he writes it this way. God doesn't bless you to be greedy. He blesses you so that you can be generous. God doesn't give you things so that you can pile them up. When you go When you let go of what's in your hand, it's now empty to receive greater blessings from God. So my daughter, Sinna got it. I mean, she figured it out. She found the money, and then her brother needed the money, so she was going to give some of the money to her brother. Now, you could say, well, it wasn't really her money, right? Technically, it wasn't her money, which is correct. But, you know, all the things that we have are not technically ours. I mean, they're not, we're not owners of the things, the possessions, the money we have. We're merely managers of them that God has entrusted. So really, she was pretty close to being accurate, sharing what she had and taking her blessing and passing it on to her younger brother. So who can falter for that, right? I mean, n- not, a, not a bad, not a bad thing for a five-year-old. It kind of uh, gave me and Pam a heart attack into how it, how it unfolded, but she really was right on. So for those of us who are followers of Christ, and maybe not everyone in this room has crossed that line, but for those who have, we are hardwired with the responsibility of taking the blessings that God has given us and then sharing them and passing them on to others. And I believe that those blessings that God gives us, they're poured out in lots of ways. It's not necessarily all financial. It can be, it can be time, it can be a skill, it can, it can be different things that you have that God has given you that you have a responsibility then to bless other people with. So far, so good, right? Everybody with me on that? Okay. Here's the tension for me. The tension is when I understand that, and then I look out in the world, I get overwhelmed with the needs. I get overwhelmed with seeing more problems, more people, more issues than I can wrap my arms around. Whenever I pick up the newspaper, whenever I watch the news, whenever I look on the internet, I'm just bombarded with needs in this world. I mean, they're just numerous. They're everywhere. So if I'm blessed to be a blessing, then where do I start? I mean, how do I meet this need? How do I take on this big, ginormous thing that's bigger than I can even put my arms around? And and, and God, how do I deal with that? I mean, I'm overwhelmed with the needs. There's so many physical, financial, relational, and emotional needs that are in our city, our state, our country, our world, that it's a little overwhelming to try to figure out how am I blessed to be a blessing with so much that I I don't even know where to start, because they are people that you and I live close to, we're related to, we work with, we have class with, we're in a life group with, we see on the sidewalk, we hear about them on the internet, we see them on television, and there's no end to the need. So how in the world do you and I respond to that tension of trying to live out what God asks us to do, and not even knowing where in the world we're to start? If I'm, if I'm, blessed to be a blessing, but I'm overwhelmed. I mean, how do I handle that? Where do I go with that? And then there's this funny thing that um, teachers, not picking on teachers, and my my mom and my grandmother taught, and that was like I'm in second grade, and I go up, and I see a candy bar in Mrs. Wilson's desk, and I go up and go, Mrs. Wilson, can I have that candy bar? And what does she say? She says, well, if I give you the candy bar, then I have to give everyone a candy bar, which I'm thinking, no, you don't. You don't really. <laughs> you can just give it to me. would be our little secret, and, you know, everything will be fine. She's like, so I can't give you the candy bar because I've got to give it to everyone. Like, Really? Okay. so go to my grandmother's house. She's making cookies. She's got the the blender out, and she pulls out the the cookie dough and has the beaters, and it's on there. And I asked my grandma, Grandma, can I lick the uh, batter off of the cookie beaters? Well, there's a house full of cousins, and she says, you know, if I let you do it, then I've got to let everybody do it, and we don't have enough beaters, so you can't do it. I'm like, Grandma, no, you don't. You mean you just hand it to me, let me lick it, then everything will be completely fine, and we don't have to tell anyone. So there's this idea, and how it relates to me, is I've, I'm told that if I can't help everyone, then I shouldn't help. And so when I look at the world, I get stuck with this, well, I, I can't fix all the problems, so maybe I shouldn't fix any of the problems. If I can't help everything, then maybe I shouldn't help Anything, and I get stuck in this cycle of seeing needs and then realizing that I can't fulfill all the needs. So I get stuck in this. Well, maybe I'll just resign and won't like I, I won't help. Anybody else stuck in this thing in their mind? Am I like the only person that goes through this? Some of the okay, there's a few honest people in here. So, so to me, that's the tension with blessed to be a blessing. H- how do we deal with it? How do we handle that? Wh- how do we figure out if there's a person that has a need, or people that have a need, what are, how are we to respond? Well, I learned this entirely new approach that someone um, shared with me that uh, made a huge difference in my life about how I approach blessed to be a blessing. And, and when I learned it, and when I grasped it, and when I practiced it, all of a sudden it, like, it freed me to not walk around with all this guilt of, okay, I can't help everyone, so I shouldn't help anyone, I've got to be fair, and, and, and this whole idea... When I embraced it, it was such a freeing thing. And that's what we're going to talk about and to I'm going to teach on today. And here's the approach, okay? This is the approach. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Do for one person what you wish you could do for everyone. Because you can't help everyone. But you can't help one person. You, ca- you can't deal with that. And because I can't do for everyone doesn't mean that I shouldn't help anyone. That's kind of the thinking that clouds my mind sometimes. And when I embraced that strategy, when I finally understood it, it was a freeing idea and concept to be able to live my life by. Now turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10 if you have a Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's some in the table back there in the back. Or if you have a smartphone, you look at your Bible in there. Or if you're just lazy, I'll put the words up on the screen. You can just look there, okay? But Luke chapter 10, we're going to look at a very familiar story, and what's going to happen is we're going to see this whole principle unpacked throughout this story. Now, in the story, um, it's a story you've heard before, but here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you to try to view the story and listen to the story as if you've not seen it or heard it before. It's a story of the Good Samaritan, and and a lot of us have seen it and heard that before. But in this story, what we're going to see is the four step strategy of unpacking, of doing for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Okay, so we pick up the story in verse 25 of Luke chapter 10. This is what it says. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, "'Teacher, what should I do to enter eternal life?' Now the question was a trap, right? The motive was not really to find out the answer. The motive was to make Jesus look bad. That's what they were trying to do. But Jesus' reply is is great. Verse 26, he says, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And I loved how Jesus usually took those difficult questions, those traps, and he would spin them around and ask a question. He wouldn't answer the question because when he answered the question, then they would take whatever he said and turn it around. So he flip-flops it on him, and he asks questions. And the tension here of him asking a question is kind of what I sense, like when they have those presidential debates, you know what I mean? Like everyone's trying to look really good and make the other person look bad, and they're always trying to take what someone says and turn it around and twist it and get you to not like that person. Kind Kind of that whole tension with like a presidential debate, It's kind of like the feeling, I think, is going on here. They're trying to trip Jesus up. They're trying to get him to say something that they're going to take and then imply negatively towards him. So verse 27, the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul, all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, which comes from the Old Testament law in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Jesus says, right, do this and you will live. In other words, if you love God, And as he has blessed you, you love other people and pour your blessing on them, then you're doing the right thing. Verse 29. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, that's not a bad question. Because in many ways, that's the same question that I struggle with. That's the tension there. If I'm supposed to love my neighbor, who is my neighbor? There's lots of neighbors. Jesus, I've seen neighbors everywhere. Everywhere I go, there's neighbors. And they all have needs. So how do I... How do I deal with this? How do I bless all these people? Give me some direction. And so Jesus tells them a story that's familiar with most of us, starting in verse 30. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. Now, the journey that he was on, the trek, was 17 miles going from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was a descent, mostly downhill, started at 2,500 feet above sea level, goes to 800 feet above sea level. But it kind of was a path that people knew that was kind of dangerous. So it's kind of like being in South L.A. It's kind of like being on the east side of St. Louis. You know, bad neighborhood, bad path. Many times travelers would come and they would get mugged and robbed, and it's exactly what happens to this poor guy. So he's been roughed up. He's naked. They stole his credit cards. Like, it's not a good day for him, right? Verse 31. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed over to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed on the other side. Now, let me pause there for a second, because of the 25 to 30 sermons I've heard in my lifetime on the Good Samaritan, they always get down on these two guys, right? I mean, I always hear, like, don't be like these two guys. Don't be like these two people. Which, in the end, when I read the story through the context of how we're reading it today... I pass by and see and become aware of needs every day that I don't do anything about. You too, right? I mean, you watch the news. You can't, you can't help everything that's on the news. You can't fix all the problems. You can't deal with all that. So in many ways, I look at it, and I push back, and I go, but I'm kind of like the guy. I mean, I... How do I deal with all of this? How, how do I embrace and pour out blessings on all these needs that I have? And I don't think Jesus' purpose in here is, is to, to point out how horrible these guys were. That's not really what he's saying here. Go to verse 33. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw him, now notice that the encounter was something that he hadn't planned, right? He didn't plan to meet the guy there. It just, it just happened. It was an interruption, And it says, when he saw the man, he felt compassion on him. And that's the first move in doing, for one, what you wish you could do for everyone, is go with the Holy Spirit's prompting, not your own schedule. you got to go with the Holy Spirit's prompting and not your own schedule. You hear Matt teach and talk a lot about hear and respond, that God still speaks to us. And when he speaks to us, we can hear what he says and then we respond to it. This was a hear and respond moment. This was a a moment where there was a need, becomes aware of the need, then he responds to the need. Most often the Holy Spirit doesn't scream, does he? Most of the time the Holy Spirit doesn't say, Dan Hendricks! Doesn't say, Chris White! Doesn't say Jessica Richardson. Doesn't say Scott Stoner. <laughs> it's not like that, is it? It's like Dan, Jessica, Chris, Scott. It's that small voice, that prompting of the Holy Spirit. That w- there's, it's easy for us to tune out because there's so many things going on. Our world is so noisy. We have so much coming at us. But, but it's those promptings for God, those whispers are divine promptings from God. And when there is a whisper, we need to listen. Because the way I understand it, those are the times when God is saying, there's a lot of needs out there. But Dan, this is your need. This is the one you need to listen to. This is the one you need to help with. We need to start listening to those promptings. And let me tell you this, the promptings won't be on your calendar, okay? Okay? And you may have a smartphone but your phone is not smart enough to hear the promptings from God. Now if you're a computer science major that would be a cool app if you could figure out how to do that for me and put that on my phone and like when God's talking to me a little thing would just pop up and tell me because I'm kind of dense sometimes that would be really cool. But it doesn't work that way does it? No, it might happen in Kroger, might happen when you're driving, might happen when you're studying, it might happen when you're walking to work. It might happen over lunch. It might happen in the shower. But God whispers to you in that still small voice. And when He does, that's when He wants you to listen and respond. Verse 34 Going over to Him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. There's the second move in doing for one what you wish you could do for everyone go hands on instead of hands-off. When, when God tells you, when God whispers, be willing to go hands-on, not just hands-off. Because doing for one what you wish you could do for everyone means you got to be willing to go hands-on and, and, and do whatever it is that God is leading you to do. And it's probably going to require more than just praying for the person. So many times we're like, well, well, we'll pray for you. Well, that's great. And I'm not against prayer. Prayer is great. But when God whispers, there's a need that, that you need to tackle... Many times it's going to be more than just praying for someone. It's going to require more of you. You're going to have to roll up your sleeves. And when God prompts you, you've got to be willing to get in the ditch, to get dirty, and to be fully engaged. I remember eight months ago, Matt, you and I met uh, Dave Woodcock at Panera Bread. And we were sitting there, and uh, he said... Um, we need some help with Genesis House, and uh, specifically ask Matt and I if Exodus Church would partner with them to help with the Genesis House. And when I thought about that, I, I knew right when he was saying that that it was going to require us physically having to do something. It wasn't one of those things where it was like, okay, Pastor Dave, we're going to pray for you. Well, Prayer is great, but it was going to be more than that. It wasn't like, hey, you know what, we'll put something on our website and something on our little purple sheets and ask people to help you. It was going to be more than that. It was going to require more than that. It would have been much easier to pray for him. It would have been much easier to just write something on a little sheet. But I remember hearing God's prompting, and I think Matt heard the same thing. It was like, you know what? You need to get involved. You need to do this. You need to lock arms, and you need to do this. It was a prompting from God, and we knew that this was one of those things that we had to go hands-on, instead of hands off. And dozens of you in this room have been a part of that and have spent time and have, have served over there and, and have helped. And I hear story after story of many of you who have told me that it, it's been a much greater blessing to you. Your eyes have been opened. You've learned a lot of things. And it's an act of doing for one what we wish we could do for everyone. Look at the second part of verse 34. Then he put... The man on his donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. Third move in doing for one what you wish you could do for everyone is you have to go the duration, not just the dollars. You know, a lot of us in this room don't think we're wealthy, but we are have enough means a lot of times that when there are problems, it's easy for us to throw money at the problem and to think, well, I just wrote a check, I'll give them $20, I can do this, and we throw the money, and then we feel kind of good about ourselves. But when God whispers, and God wants you to get involved, and there's the one that you can do for, what you wish you could do for everyone, you have to go the duration, and not just the dollars. I've got a real good friend that's in the ministry, and I I wouldn't be able to tell you this story if he wasn't a really good friend. But uh, I worked on staff with him at a church, and we had this thing called pod, Pastor of the Day, which basically meant that you were on call for a 24-hour period. And it was a fairly large church, so we'd get lots of calls from people. Well, there could be emergencies or different things, but if that was your time, you were on call, you, the call came to you, and you had to respond to it. So my friend's had a long, long day. He gets home finally at night. He's eating supper, gets a phone call. There's a guy who we, kind of, we knew kind of asked for a lot of things, sometimes could be kind of needy. You could describe him as that. He says he's hungry, doesn't have anything to eat. So my, my, my friend calls up Domino's and has a pizza delivered to his house. And so he tells me this story, and he kind of felt guilty about it. And, and, and um, we, we were talking about it. And uh, it's funny now, but when I talk about this context of doing, for one, what you could do for others, I'm not sure that it's something that you can phone in, okay? I'm not sure it's, it's when God prompts you to do something, you can go, okay, well, I'll call Domino's for you, then everything will be taken care of, right? We'll be good. It's not one of those kinds of things. In our culture, it's easy to give them a check, give them a $20, and then we're, we're done. Doing, for one, what you wish you could do for others requires our time, And that may be the most valuable resource that we have. But when God prompts you and God asks you to get involved hands-on, it's going to require time, not just money. The Samaritan put the man on his donkey. And I'm not sure what kind of mileage his donkey got. I'm sure donkey fuel was probably really expensive back then, too. Well, whatever it was. But he, he takes the man to a facility, a medical facility or an inn. He takes him somewhere that took time. He went the distance with him. So he made sure that this guy could be taken care of. That was the need that was at hand. And God often needs the same from you and from me. Look at verse 35 now. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man, and if his bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time I'm here. The fourth part of doing for one what you wish you could do for everyone is you gotta go commitment rather than encounter. Encounters like, you know, here is one time, see you, won't see you again. Commitment is, no, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there next week. I'm going to be there next month. I'm going to be there in six months. I'm going to be here a year from now. And that's hard. But when God says, do for this one person, th- th- this, is, this is the prompting that I've given you. It's our responsibility to go commitment rather than encounter because encounters are brief. Commitments are long-term. But God requires a commitment a commitment to help, a commitment to see things through, a commitment to be there for the person that you're helping. That we should not operate out of convenience. That we should operate out of compassion and commitment. See if you remember this movie clip from the movie The Blind Side. What is wearing? It's crazy. Hey, Big Mike, where you head? Jim. Where? Turn around. you going to the gym? Big Mike, why were you going to the gym? Because it's warm. Do you have any place to stay tonight? Don't you dare lie to me. Where are we going? Hmm. I love that scene. Let me tell you a story about Mary. November 6, 2005, there was an F4 tornado that went through Evansville, Indiana, community that we lived in. It was on the ground for 40 miles, approximately two miles from our home. There were over 150 mile an hour winds. There were hundreds of homes that were either completely destroyed or destroyed pretty bad. There were 25 casualties. $85 $85 million worth of damage, and I remember that night that it happened, and um, didn't, we knew there was a storm. We, we didn't know. Pam and I got out in our car, and we went, and we realized that it was 1.30 in the morning, but it was dark, but you could, y- there were a lot of people outside because many people couldn't be in their homes anymore. We realized that there, obviously something really bad had happened in our community. There was a family, um, Mary's family, that we had known, and over the next day or two, we'd gotten word that she was injured. She lived in a trailer park. The trailer that she was in was completely destroyed. We found out that her mother had been passed away. Her dad was severely hurt. He was in the hospital, and Mary um, was hurt in the hospital as well. It was one of those moments where you felt God saying, you know, I can't fix the whole tornado, but we need to do something for Mary. We knew her because... Um, my son, Keaton, had played in several basketball leagues and tournaments and teams with her older brothers. So we knew the family not real well, but we did know them. So it was one of those times where F- Pam and I felt, we, we need. this is one of those times, the promptings from God. So uh, I tried to find out where she was at in the hospital, which they won't give you a lot of information about that. Even had to play my pastor card and say, listen, I'm a pastor, I'm trying to help, you need to give me information. We found her in a hospital, an area hospital in town. So there's a picture of Mary four days after she got out of the hospital. She's wearing the fireman's helmet that uh, rescued her. You can tell she has scratches on her face. She had a severe cut on her leg. She almost bled to death. A hot water heater had fallen on her. It had burnt her leg really bad, and she had to have, uh, there was a scar about 18 inches long down her leg. We realized in this situation that um, her dad really was kind of distraught and was not in a spot to really help her. He had lost um, Mary's mother. There were kids to take care of. He was in the hospital, so she lived with us for a month or more. Um, it's the only thing that we knew to do. And as she got better, she did move back home. But um, we celebrated Christmas with her. <clears throat> we celebrated birthdays with her. We we would she would come about every three or four weeks, spend the night, stay with our girls. She became part of our family. Matter of fact, when we moved from Evansville, one of the hardest things we had to do was to leave. Mary. And um, that was in 2005, six years ago. We still see her from time to time now. We get to uh, see her when we go to basketball tournaments uh, in different places in Indiana. We see her and her family and she's doing well. But when that happened in our family, it was God saying, you know what, you can't help everyone, but you need to do for Mary what you wish you could do for everyone. It was one of those times. It was one of those promptings. Let's wrap up this story and go back to our text that we were looking at in verse 36. I want to end there. Where it says, now which of these three, this is Jesus talking, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, you need to go and do the same. You see, Dan Hendricks can't fix the world. But I can change someone's world. And Wendy Padani can't change the world, but she can change someone's world. Chad Burris can't change the world, but he can change someone's world. My question to you this morning is to be, have the courage enough to ask God, who, God? Wh- who do you put in my life? Who do you put in my path? Who do you put around me that, that you are saying, you have been blessed so that you can be a blessing to this person? Maybe it's a coworker, Maybe it's a roommate. Maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's an addict. Maybe it's an old friend. Maybe it's a new friend. Maybe it's an organization. I, I can't answer that question for you. But I do know that God has put you in a specific place and blessed your life so that you can then be a blessing to someone else. Because you're not going to be able to fix the whole world. But God's going to put somebody in your path that you can help. And then he's going to whisper. And when he whispers then you need to respond. And when you respond, you need to be willing to be committed, to not just throw money at it, but to go long-term, to go hands-on, and to really be there for that person. And you can make a huge difference in a person's life. And the beauty of all this is the cumulative effect of a group of people doing this. Because one person can't change the world, but two, three hundred people doing this for two, three hundred people, organizations, or problems can do a remarkable thing in the world that we live in, can make huge changes in our community, in our state, in our country, and even around the world. So my prayer today is that God would give you the courage to ask that question, God, who? Who is my one that I need to do for, which I wish I could do for everyone? And then whenever God gives you that answer, you bless that person with the blessings that God has poured out on you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you have um, loved us enough to send your son Jesus. Father, thank you that you have poured out your spirit upon us and upon your church. And as you've poured out your spirit, Father, may you show us then who we can go and, and we can Take a little bit of that pouring that we've received and we can bless that person. We can bless that organization. We can bless that family. We can bless whoever it is that you've put in our path and in our sphere of influence, the people that we know that we can help. And Father, if we all do that, what a huge difference will be made on this earth and for your kingdom. That is our prayer today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We take communion every week here at Genesis, and if uh, you're one that is a follower of Christ or seeks to follow Christ, you're invited to participate. I'm going to say a prayer in just a moment. We'll have uh, servers that will come forward, and as they do, come up. They'll give you a piece of bread. Take the bread and dip it in the cup. The bread represents Christ's broken body, and the blood. represents are the juice the represents his shed blood on the cross for us. There's also a prayer room over here. If uh, you want someone to pray for you, there'll be some people over there. They would love to pray for you. If you have a spiritual decision, don't know what it means exactly to follow Christ or have some questions about it, there'll be people over there in that room. They would love to help you answer those questions also. But uh, we'll bow our heads and I'm going to pray and then we'll share in the Lord's Supper together. Father God, um, thank you for the body of Christ and the blood of Christ that was shed for us and uh, right now we, we take these elements and when we do we we remember that sacrifice we remember the love that was shown to us we remember the blessing of eternal life that was given to us and Father as we remember that we're challenged that uh, we are then your hands and feet of Christ in this world so Father thank you for um, allowing us to to be that and um thank you for sending your son to die for us. In Jesus' name we say this prayer. Amen.